enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show, as always, is presented by Prevenex, my favorite breakfast in the morning. I love their shakes, the Neurofi Plus really does the trick, whether I'm having it first thing in the morning or right after my workout. Either way, it hits the spot. It gives me the nutrients I need and sets me up to have a wonderful day. Go over to Prevenex.com today and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. So today's episode is with Lindsay Nelson. Lindsay is an extremely good runner, one of the best female marathoners in the country. She finished 81st at the Olympic trials this year. Speaking of trials, she has gone through many in her life. And as you'll hear in this podcast, while she has had some big highs in her life from a running perspective, she's also um, at various points due to health reasons and other reasons as well, experienced some pretty big lows. And I was so just moved by different points of this conversation. And And I'm sure, frankly, that you will be as well. So let's get into it with Lindsay Nelson. Hello, Lindsay, and welcome to the call. I said, welcome to the call. Welcome to the show. This is a call. We aren't doing this in person. Normally I say welcome to the show. Oh, man, you call me. Today, if if you didn't know today was a crazy day, now you know. Yes. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been uh, an exciting year for you. You you participated in the trials. You're running now at such a high level. And I really was excited to talk with you um, just, I guess, right now in particular, because they just announced last week all of the individuals who will be competing in the marathon project in December and you're on the list. So I guess, first of all, congratulations. And how does that, how does that work? I know it's kind of the elite of the elites in American running are participating. What was the process by which, you know, either they reach out to you, reach out to them or the whole decision-making uh, matrix? Um, I know James, James McCurdy, um, he submitted all this stuff. He just basically signed me up without, really telling me he's like oh, we're gonna do this like and he signed up and he wanted to know all my information he was actually like calling my husband for our address and stuff because i missed his call because i was online my daughter but yeah so we sent in all our information it was a slim chance probably of me getting in but somehow i managed to get get in i'm honored honestly and excited to be a part of that yeah, so it's basically the top 50 men, top 50 women in America. I mean, that's not obviously not everyone's eligible. Some people have already run, right? We have people who've run London and, and things like that. Um, but is that kind of the the idea behind it? Yeah, I think mainly is just to get some of these elite runners to race because we haven't really done anything since the trials, which seems a lifetime ago now. So it was, um, Ben Rosardi put is putting it on and josh cox so they wanted to get something together for these marathoners and make it super elite and competitive to produce some fast times and was this the first race that came down the pike for you in terms of in-person racing that was uh something that was attractive and something you really wanted to be a part of yes um because all my races have been canceled this year probably just like everyone else and it's like the first year I'm like, I can actually race consistently and everything got canceled, which is disappointing. But I'm 
excited that this is going on and I was able to participate. And what were the rate, what was the original race calendar supposed to look like for you? Um, so after the trials, I was going to either do Boulder, Boulder, like 10 K or the Bloomsday 15 K grandma's half marathon Mount Snuffles. That's a near ray. It's a half marathon. It's a small race, but super competitive. And then Chicago marathon was kind of what lined up for what James and I came up with before everything got canceled. Right. And at what point, obviously the Chicago being in the fall, um, now, like I'm trying to remember when was that officially canceled or not even officially, but like, when did you guys start to hear word like that, that wasn't going to happen even for the elites? Um, I think in like the summer, I think cause James is like, this is what's going to get canceled. Like everything's going to get canceled. So we kind of just like forgot about, like forget about it and just moved on. And like, I got entered into CIM as an elite, but I was like, this is going to still get canceled, which it did. Cause it got canceled like a, month or so ago the CIM, which right now is like they're on fire too so you don't really want to race yeah it's, it's yeah it's so wild and, and so what's it been like for you then as someone who and we'll, and we'll talk about this who has had you know kind of like a checkered history when it comes to the consistent training and and for very good reasons as we'll talk about what was it like for you as you just mentioned like you're finally in a situation where you can really you know, let let it fly from a racing perspective. All of a sudden, all the races are canceled. What did that do to you from a motivation standpoint uh, in terms of your training and then just, you know, getting out there day after day? Um, It was hard because it was frustrating. And like, I'm sure everyone feel, is feeling it. Um, Basically, we kind of just changed training like James. Like I focus on a lot of speed work, which I haven't done speed work in like eight years. So, so you were fresh. You, you're you're pretty fresh for that speed work. Yeah, I haven't done speed in forever, like since college. <laughs> so it's something different for me. And then we've done this mile, like trails and miles series that's going on right now. And we have nationals, like it's a virtual thing. So we just submit our times. Like we have like a week or so to do the race. And then each week you progress. So this week would be nationals. We're doing a 10K up here. and there's John, Angie, and I, and Hannah who are um, doing the 10K for nationals. And then the, the series, they start with like a 5K, 8K, 6K, 10K. And there's like runners throughout the whole country are doing this. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch it happen. And, you know, it's it's because it's virtual and because other people have like different things going on, like all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're training for a marathon that's going to be very hotly contested. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, you, you could, you could, you could easily make a compelling argument that the marathon project, a project marathon that you're going to be doing is going to be just as competitive as say like the Olympic trials were in terms of like the quality of the, the quality of the runners who are going to be there. Um, and, you know, shoot, everyone's going to be lined up for it. You know, it's not going to be like one of those situations where people are going to be training through a race. So what does that do for like, this trials and miles thing that you're doing, does that, are you going all out for the, all of those? Or is it like you give like a 90% effort cause it's like a workout day? Like how does that work? Um, most of them just been workouts. Like I did the six K and then had like six hundreds afterwards, but for the 10 K we are actually racing it. So it'll be the first time we're actually, I'm tapering a little bit this week and then race the 10 K Friday. And then I have like an easy day Saturday and then long run on Sunday. So it's like, 
just a short little taper and then right back to marathon training. Because we've been doing marathon training just in case I got into the marathon project. So I'm not behind, luckily, with that. Now, you talk about the fact that you didn't basically do speed work for eight years. Like, that's ama- yeah. it's so amazing to me to hear someone at your running of level say that. So I'm like, all right, I don't even, you know, I'm kind of the other end of the spectrum, not only from a talent perspective, but in terms of my inc- running inclination. Like, I love doing the fast stuff. I hate doing the long, the long stuff. So when I hear that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's wild. So what's it like now when you're doing so much of it, especially compared to what you've done in the past, have you noticed any physiological changes in terms of, you know, your stride, your power, you know, like how your legs feel? Like, what has there been any measurable change beyond just like, obviously you'll run faster if you continue to practice running faster? Yeah, um, I think I'm definitely more powerful with that like I can like I had a nine mile tempo run and the last mile was supposed to be hard so I had like a 16 second like drop in my mile from the eighth to the ninth mile so I think I'm definitely more stronger and I had that turnover is a lot quicker because I'm trying to keep up with um Angie who's a 10k girl so she definitely um pushes me to run faster with that and that's Angie Nickerson yeah, Nickerson. Yeah. All right. So let, let's 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 go back in time. So you you finished eighty first this year at the, at the trials, which is awesome. I mean, first of all, congratulations. That's a fantastic result. You ran um and you know at at, at a Arizona State Pac twelve school. Maybe it was, was Pac ten back when you were there. Um, and when you go back to that time, did you see yourself? You know, say early in your college life, um, kind of projecting out where you were going to be as a runner uh, later on in life. Did you see yourself moving to the marathon? Yeah. Even um, my high school coaches and my college coaches even told me like, you're going to be a marathoner. Is this, I do better with the longer distance I always have. I just, I prefer it better because like that speed stuff is, it's just not for me. <laughs> uh, even the workouts, but yeah, my college coaches like, yeah, you can be make qualify for the trials and the marathon. Now, when you hear that, does it make you just want to like, why not just do it right away? Like, why wait? Like, I mean, you see, you know, some you see some people now. Like, we just saw the marathon, the half marathon world championships, and you see some of those individuals. Well, they might not have grown up in the American running system, and they're maybe they're just the evolution of how they progress through different kinds of races and different kinds of training is different. You see, some of these folks are going to longer distances much earlier in life than you would typically see American runners going into it. So when you hear coaches say that to you, even going back to high school, like, Hey, marathon is going to be it for you. Does it, was there ever a desire to, you know, why, why wait kind of feel like, why not just start doing this now? Um, well, my mom did marathons when she was 16, pretty young. She broke three hours at 16 years old. Holy cow. Yes. So she got burnt out at a young age. So I think it's kind of like you don't want to go too early because your body's just not ready for that distance. I think personally, just based off like her experience. So they wanted me to like wait because I didn't run my first marathon. I think I was 26 when I did my first one. Well, especially if you see that in your own house, yeah, as a highly accomplished runner saying that to you, I can see how that would influence you. I remember talking to Ray Tracy, who was Emily Sisson's coach at Providence College, and him saying, you know, her 
her specialty is going to be the marathon. There's no doubt about it. And she was like, at the time, like, was the literal runaway 5K title, uh, 5K champion in the NCAA. And he's like, but we just need to make it a slow build. Like, we're not, we're years away from going there. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like obviously a very measured approach. And they're thinking, you know, five years out. And then you compare it to what some other folks are doing. And it's so interesting how you can get um, so many different paths that can potentially read, you know, get to the same end goal and end point. Um, but it's also so interesting when you have someone like yourself where you're like, hey, this is where you're going to be really good. And it's so funny because you're like, but but we don't want you doing that yet. And even if there's rational reasons, I can see where you'd be like, but that's what I'm going to be really good at. Let's let's, let's get this baby going. Uh, I'm kind of glad. Like, well, it's like, if you look at Sarah Hall, she's 37, she, which she did at London. Like, there's plenty time left for marathon racing because I'm only 31. So I know we've done three marathons so far. So the Project Marathon will be my fourth one. Right. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. And it is so... Yeah, I know that's always been kind of the classic model, right? You kind of go to the 5K, the 10K, and you kind of build up. And, and then so many runners have done that and done it successfully as well. And it, it definitely has, has proven out in so many in so many instances. I was just thinking about it top of mind, just because just reading the the just reading the the reports this past weekend and being like, oh yeah, they had their first really good half marathon at 17. You're like, 17? Like you never see that over here. Um, it's just not something you see very often. No, you don't. And I like I hope they don't burn out is my like worrisome like about that. Like so young doing these longer distance, like you hear about those stories. Like they just go too hard too young. Like I seen it like when I did like club track when I was like little because I started running when I was nine. So like there was a bunch of girls who were way faster than me, but once we got to high school they were burnt out. I'm like, was it worth running that fast at age ten? Not really, if you can't run it anymore. And now was that was that kind of the the culture of that club, or was that more parent driven? I think it's a more parent driven because I can still see it because I have two kids. So I like my daughter was invited to do the competitive gymnastics team at age four, two hour practices plus competition twice a week. I'm like we're not doing that to her. It was like she is four. Like I don't care how good she is. Like she didn't want to do it, so we moved on and we did swim. But there's other parents who are like, why wouldn't you do that to her? She's like, she can be on a, the competitive team. Like, she's four. We're not going to burn her out at that age. Because, like, I can live with myself. She's not going to be Olympic gymnastics. <laughs> and your your background is a great example of this. So someone who ran at the highest level of college athletics, you, know, you were able to see firsthand, like, all right, well, what does that actually mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. all right. So she's able to do X, Y, Z and say all say everything goes in her favor. Even at that point, it's still like, and then what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're all right. So you're you're do, you're you're doing gymnastics in college. And if you love it, that's awesome. Congratulations. But it's not an end goal in of itself. No, well, in gymnastics, like this is so hard on their little bodies. <laughs> so I was like, I can make her do that. I know. My, so my daughter's eight and she's been doing gymnastics on and off since she was four and yeah, you're sitting there. You're like, <laughs> I just love that the whole, the, the terminology gets me as like, all right, this is competitive gymnastics. And you're like, listen, these girls, like what they're waiting are like sitting on these, like these little blue dots they have to carry around. Cause they don't, then they will just, they'll just start wandering around the gym. Like, yeah. <laughs> like these, these little kids, you know, that 
this isn't competitive. They're just trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? And it's such a, it's such a funny thing. And like, obviously some of them come to like, you know, hand-eye coordination quicker than others and then whatever. Like ultimately that sort of stuff is meaningless once you get to become an adult. But it's, it's so funny, like seeing it and seeing, you know, I was a, I, I did college athletics as well and then coaching college. And it's so funny to see parents who might not have had that kind of background because you see them like living and dying with every practice and you're like, Oh man, you're going to really regret this later. Yeah, it's it, they're kind of because I've talked to parents there because so they have like their kid entered in like three different sports. I'm like, aren't you afraid they're going to get burnt out? It's like, they'll be fine. This is how the, the path you have to take. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, your kid is eight, they don't need to be doing three sports at once. I'm like, I feel bad for their child, exactly. And like, and like, path to what that's always my thing. Yeah, path to what? Like, you need to let them be a kid. <laughs> Like, I don't think they should be really serious until they get to high school. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing. I remember, I'm trying to remember what book it was, but they, they talked about how, like, the best, and they, they used music as an example. It might have even been, uh, it might have even been, like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's um, 10,000 Hour book, where, like, they even talked, which is riddled with inconsistencies and whatever. But it's, even in that book, which highlights this, it, even then they say, like, hey, the best early teacher and even teacher-pupil relationship, kind of no matter the endeavor, is like the idea of like, like the the grandmotherly like piano teacher teaching like again the four or five year old. Where like it's not about skill development; it's about like enjoying playing the instrument being the most important thing, and like having fun and getting to the point where like you're looking forward to doing the activity and not dreading the activity. Exactly. Yes. All right. So let's talk about some you know, your your skill development. So you. You know, your your high school coach is like, hey, you're going to be great. You're, you're, you know, I can totally see you doing well in the marathon. You end up going to Arizona State. You're at a point now where you're running with elites in the marathon, and you're doing well. With that said, what was your initial initial goal, not only for your freshman year, but overall for your your four year college experience? Um, I guess as a freshman, I wanted to make the traveling team, which I was. I was like our sixth seventh runner as a freshman for the cross country team. And then I guess this gradually moved up. Um, so by my junior year, I was our number one runner. And then my senior year, um, I wanted, you know, like my junior year, I had a lofty goal. It was like make all conference, all regionals, all American. So a week, I think out before my conference meet, I fell down and I ended up getting a stress fracture. But I continued to race for the next two weeks on the stretch fracture. So I got ninth in our conference and then took some time off. I just ran on the um, Ultra G. And unfortunately, I PR'd by like 45 seconds at regionals, but I did not qualify individually. Um, And our team did not qualify for nationals. So we missed nationals that year. And then my senior year, we got um, a bunch of new freshmen. And we had Shelby Houlihan on the team. And we, I didn't run as well as I was hoping my senior year. I was just, I think, burnt out from overtraining for my coaches. When, when you say overtraining, what, what did that look like for you? I was just, I was sleeping 14, 16 hours a day and I was still tired. I had no energy because they were keeping me at super high mileage and trying to race at the same time. And, my living situation was very stressful. 
because my roommates were not the best people, even though they were on the team, which they eventually both got kicked off for different reasons. So I think I was just mentally and physically just exhausted by then. What kind of mileage were you doing? I was only running like 80 miles a week, but I was doing that in six days. But I, I, I don't know what it was. Like, I think I was just shot and they were like, there's no set things of overtraining. I was like, I don't think I'm recovering enough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. They're like, there's no, such thing. you can't, you can't be overtrained. There's no such thing about I'm like, okay, then why am I feeling like garbage? I'm not running nearly as where I was my like last year, like not even close, which was very frustrating. And when you're in that experience where, you know, you're, you really, you really can't pick your coach at that point, right? The recruiting process is over. It's not like you're going to transfer for your senior year necessarily, especially once you're in the middle of it. And, you know, they have, they have your scholarship in their hands. What's it like in terms of that, just that power dynamic and working with a coach or coaches who you feel like just don't have your best interest at heart when you have, you know, these kind of these, you know, you're pretty forthright in terms of how you're feeling and you see how they react to that. Well, I think the biggest thing is like my senior year, we had a coaching change. So I was the old coaches like recruit. And so I think they took away my fifth year scholarship. They're like, we're not giving you a fifth year, taking away your money. And so like, I think because I just wanted to clean house, get rid of everyone's like Louie's old recruits and just bring in their own recruits, which was frustrating. Was like with me leaving, the team honestly went to hell because <laughs> like they have not been to national since my senior year, which is really sad because we went 14 years consist- consistently qualifying for nationals as a team. And they have, it's been eight years or so since they've been back. And now it was like they're going through coaches like water down there because the atmosphere, I don't know what's going on down there, but I'm. Honestly, kind of glad to get away from it. <laughs> and what was your experience? I know you you, you talked to me uh, offline, so um, you know I, I kind of know. <laughs> I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, because uh, I think it's informative for so many people who are get stuck in these kind of situations. What was it like in terms of the experience that you had your senior year with this co- with that coaching staff in terms of how they interacted with you and your teammates around, you know, basically body issues and things like that? Well, the coach wanted all the women because he was only the women's coach, the new um, coaching staff. He wanted the women in sports bras and spandex with no shirt to make sure we're not gaining weight. And then we had weekly weigh-ins to make sure we're not getting heavier. And this promoted eating disorders on our team because women are scared they were going to gain weight and the coach is going to freak out on them, which I think is honestly highly appropriate to force women to wear sports bras and spandex all the time. It should be their choosing. And these women were skipping meals and then try to do a workout and they tank in the workout of course, because they have no fuel. So I, I don't, I thought, I think it was ridiculous. I try to tell the freshman girls, like you need to eat food. Like it doesn't matter what you weigh as long as it's healthy weight. Like if your healthy weight is 120, then it is. If not, like, you know, everyone's different. Like there's no specific weight you have to weigh to be a runner because everyone's different. 
I was like, for me, I've never been back up my baby weight, like pre-baby weight, and I'm still faster than I was before babies. Which is a great, I mean, which really is a great example. And I think in the recent years, first with a bunch of Lindsey Krause's uh, reporting um, on this, uh, we talked, you know, Mary Kane, you know, was very forthright about this. We've mm-hmm. seen it elsewhere. Uh, recently, Lauren Fleshman had an article in the New York Times talking about this yep. as well. Uh, she talked about many things, but this was one of the topics. Um, when it comes to weight and running, you brought up an interesting point of like, you know, you, you talked, you told me this in our report, we even, before we even started recording, I'm like, it doesn't matter what you weigh. It matters what your times are. And I made the, I made the analogy. It's kind of like talking about penmanship when you should be talking about the quality of my essay. And when you, when you talk about running and weight and especially that age group, what are some of the things, or even, and you, you can even cycle it to, to younger than that. And not, not to say that even people who are older, um, don't experience similar things. But when you have, you know, kind of a, a coaching dynamic where all the power is with the coach, what do you feel like having gone through this should be the kind of conversations that coaches have with their athletes and spe- especially their female athletes around weight and performance when they're trying to perform at the highest level? Um, I think is, um, it's like you need to make sure you're, you know, eating, eating enough proteins and eating the right food. Like you don't need to be eating like, you know, candy and ice cream, you know, like all the sugary, like you can have that, but it's like, you shouldn't be eating that like every night. Like, I don't know. I was team, I was teammates with Shelby Houlihan and she was eating jelly beans before nationals. Like you can tell me she like is not okay for eating jelly beans. Like, <laughs> but I think coaches, especially, I think, a lot of college teams should have a female coaching staff because I think they do better because I think women get the wrong vibe from a male coach trying to tell them about like their weight and they just kind of write it off like, Oh, they just want me skinnier or whatever. But with a women's coach, they can talk to them differently and they can tell them based off personal experience and try it. I think, you know, try to see how dietitian or nutritionist, if the school provides that to try to eat healthy and making sure you're getting enough calories, like the right calories. Right. And also when you're talking about weight, it can also be so dependent on where a woman is even within their cycle. Right. I mean, like, yes, their body might not change at all, but their weight could fluctuate depending on where they are. And that's again, if they're going through their normal cycle, right. Which is, which again, if you're having issues with eating disorders, running rampant through a team, then you also may be dealing with amenorrhea, which I know again, is one of those topics that, you know, I know traditionally hasn't really been broached nationally and you hope it gets talked about um, locally within certain teams, but I know it can be a topic that especially male coaches might be, even if they want to talk about this sort of thing, maybe at a, maybe in a situation where they're not as knowledgeable. And that's in the best case scenario. And the worst case scenario is they just don't care and they're just going to make people stick to a certain dictatorial, um, you know, edict. But when you have that sort of stuff going on, can you speak to it all to, to that? Because it seems like, you know, when you stick to a very, static weight there can be so many other factors that can be have have influence on that besides just input and outputs of calories and burning calories yeah like i know for me i kind of get more bloated like water weight before 
like I start my period, but like I know my freshman through junior year coach, like he did not want to know anything about it and moved on. My senior coach kept a calendar of all the girls' cycles, which I think is a little extreme <laughs> to document and like make sure you're not going to have a bad workout or whatever. And keep track of like, oh, you won't have a bad race because you're not going to start. I'm like, that's a little extreme, I think, and creepy <laughs> to keep a calendar for all the women. But I know that does it affect women like um, before or during your cycle. <laughs> Holy cow. That's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. me, even me bringing <laughs> this up right now, it's like it's hard. It's hard for me to bring it up. Like, I feel super awkward. It doing is it. hard. Yeah. But like. Take tip for someone to go to that route. My God, <laughs> that is that is pretty creepy, man. I know. Like, there's no reason. It is kind of weird. Yeah, I'm like, he sat me down. He's like, oh, you don't have to worry about like this next race because you're not gonna start your period. I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> I was like, how do you know? Like, they just like he kind of got kind of too crazy about all that stuff, which I'm glad he's not at ASU anymore. He's left, but it's a little extreme. For me so once you so you were at a position where all of a sudden you're you're the you're the best runner of your junior year at a high level program with big dreams see if we can become an all-american again you're you're in the west region right this is that region is loaded so many good runners and senior year comes through it doesn't work out the way you had hoped what did that do for you post-college when it comes to running um i honestly took six months of running off like nothing i was just so burnt out over it so i just took a bunch of time off and then i just started running as feel like how much i wanted to do and then i kind of just gradually just started building up building up more i'm like oh i can probably you know train and get ready for the try to the 2016 standard and then that, so that was the goal is to try to qualify for the 2016 trials but Let's see, at the end of 2013 is when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. So I was 24 when I found out I was pregnant with her. So basically, I did not get in shape fast enough to get the standard after having my daughter, which was an extremely hard pregnancy and a whole bunch of issues with that. So you actually, you know, for, and I see a lot of college runners you know, they who have a, a, a tough experience, whether it's overtraining or um, something along the lines that you had with in terms of disagreements with coaches or injuries or what have you. A lot of runners take a long period of time off. It seems like, you know, six months certainly is considerable, but it's not like, you know, I've talked to some people who have taken like a decade off oh, wow. after no. college. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, forget this. You know, like I think Roberta Groner is a great example. Like she like got back into it at like age 29. Mm-hmm. She was like, not that, not that she like didn't move for 10 years, you yeah. know, but like she certainly wasn't, wasn't really hyperactive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you say you had a hard pregnancy with your daughter, what, what, what did that mean for you? Um, in that instance? Um, well with my daughter, like about like six weeks into the pregnancy, super early, I basically had hypermesis, hyperemesis. I don't really know how to pronounce it correctly. But basically, it's a severe vomiting to delivery I had with her. So, like, at 20 weeks, I've lost weight because I was so sick. I couldn't keep water down. I threw up, like, I don't know, countless times a day. I got to the point where I was throwing up blood. Um, I strained all the muscles in my ribs and my abs. 
just from growing up so much. It was horrible. Like, I wish nothing on that, like anyone to have, ever have that. Because it's like my mom had it. So it's like one to 2% of women can get this in their pregnancy. And I'm the fortunate one to get it. And with her, I probably should have been ha- hospitalized for IVs because I was dehydrated, but we had no health insurance. So I kind of just laid on the couch for nine months with her when I was pregnant with her. And then at the tail end of that pregnancy, um, I got preeclampsia with her. So my blood pressure was through the roof, like stroke seizure level high. And I had protein in my um, urine, which means your kidneys are going to start shutting down. So I had to deliver her early. And then I was in the hospital for like a week after having her. And so after that, it took a while to kind of come back. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. You, your body must have just been wrecked after L, after that entire experience. I mean, just not even be able to hold down any nutrients in addition to everything else that was going on. No, there, I, had, I was living off all popsicles. Like, it was amazing. Like, she was t- a tiny little thing. She was like four pounds, 15 ounces when she was born. And she was like only, she was three weeks early. So she was luckily fine. I was, she did better off than I did. I was wrecked after having, yeah, during the pregnancy, like the labor and delivery. Oh man, I can't, I can't even, I can't, I mean, shoot, every pregnancy is hard, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, man, that's, that's, that's like on a completely different level. Like, holy cow. <laughs> it doesn't make sense why I had preeclampsia because I don't meet the criteria at all. And this is something my body just kind of freaked out. I think it's just from not having nutrients the entire pregnancy. Cause I didn't, I couldn't take prenatals cause I threw those up. So I was like living off of li- nothing for nine months. Right. Right. Then you have, you, you go on a popsicle. So obviously your glucose, I would think would be shooting up, you know, then mm-hmm. do you have to, do, did you end up going like the pre-diabetic mode? I didn't have that. Luckily I test, I was clear of that. It was just, um, the preeclampsia was the worrisome because like if you don't treat that it will kill you basically and the only way to fix it and catch it early is delivery because your organs start shutting down so when after all after all of that when did you get back to the point where you felt like your body was somewhat within the range in terms of just feeling normal um again like like it was pre-pregnancy with her, um, I don't know. I kind of just forced it, I think, because I got I rushed back. I ran with the baby jogger with her. I ran a half marathon at five months postpartum. But right after that, I was injured for six months with um, an SI joint issue. And it was really hard with her because, honestly, I had no help from, like, friends or family to watch her. So I was, like, on my own with my daughter, which my husband worked a lot. So I basically ended up getting postpartum depression with my daughter. And then I had an amazing lady who like was life-saving after I was like finally healthy again to run, who was willing to watch Peyton so I could go for a run, which turned that basically it was the turning page like the to the next chapter of running. Cause after she watched Peyton in like a few weeks, I think it was like six weeks or so we moved up to Flagstaff. And then there was a gym daycare. I was able to take my daughter there. I met my friend Katie, who got me like back to running, like high mileage again, workouts. Like I haven't done workouts in like years. And I was doing that with her. And then 
that was like towards the end of 2016 when I ran my first marathon and I debuted at 240 at St. George. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Peyton was just like two years old by then. So it was my first marathon. Holy cow. So you started doing the first marathon basically almost three years after you had anticipated doing one, I guess. Yes. Yes. So I missed the 2016, you know, obviously the cutoff because I couldn't get health. I couldn't stay healthy. I had no help with Peyton. And so it wasn't really until I moved away from friends and family. I actually got more help up in Flagstaff. And now my group, like, I have so much more help with the kids. And I think that's that's what you, like, you need a support group if you have children to succeed in running or any sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it can just, it is, it is, you know, it it can take so much time. And not only is it hard to fit workouts in, but then also the recovery can get tough as well. And shoot, yeah. just, 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 just the two of us scheduling this podcast, right? Between both of both sets of our kids, we had like four different times, four different times scheduled that, that all had to be canceled at various points, which I guess is illustrative of just the, the nuttiness that our lives can devolve into with, with the kids. Yes. No, then <laughs> it's crazy. They're kind of, I can hear them upstairs right now freaking out, but they can live <laughs> right now. Oh, there they are. I can hear them too. <laughs> you can hear them. Yeah. I'm actually parked in my car. I'm actually parked in my car away from the kids uh, right now because they are doing something similar in my house. Yeah. I'm like debating going in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you, so you had the 240 debut, which is huge. I mean, that is, an, that's a remarkable achievement. Even if everything had gone extremely well post-college, that still would be a remarkable achievement for a first marathon you do that in 2016 at that point are you immediately focused on 2020 or are you more short-term in your thinking um well i was like i was fired up i'm like 240 is a debut like i know people like it's st george more has a more net downhill but it's like it's not an easy course because like it's rolling in the beginning but um i was fired up but um at the end like what november so that race was in october so november 2016 i was found out i was pregnant with my son so we did all that basically it was almost three years to the day between my marathons my second my first and second marathon which i came back and ran another 240 at twin cities that's awesome. I, I, the symmetry is fantastic. Now, there's a lot that happened between those two marathons. For oh, yes, sure. a lot has happened. Um, yes, between those but two. The, 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 the symmetry is, is kind of awe-inspiring. So when you were, you mentioned what happened pre your first 240. Now, you, you get pregnant with your son. Um, okay, going into the second, you know, the second marathon where you run 240, at that point, are you still like... Is running in the Olympic trials for you after going through, after getting that first 240 and then getting pregnant again, is running the Olympic trials still a goal at that point that you're still working towards or does that start to fade away a little bit? Um, it was still a goal, but it was not an easy goal to achieve for sure because there, between after having my son, it was trying to coordinate having two kids at home. My, my son couldn't go to the gym daycare until he was like six months old. So trying to coordinate that, we got a treadmill. So I was on that. And then the day after he was able to go to the gym daycare, I broke my big toe from my daughter's giant Elsa doll landing on it. Oh my God. So I was in a boot for eight weeks from that, of course. 
And then I got back after that, I got back to running and then I had SI joints again on both sides. So that was a nightmare to deal with. And then I got back in shape again. I was like, I don't know how many times I've reamped to try to get back in shape after having him. Um, so he was about, so the beginning of 2019, I was trying to like, I was finally making progress here, but then I found out the beginning of 2019, I was pregnant. And like about when I was like six weeks into the pregnancy, I miscarriage had a miscarriage. Um, but it was, um, I think it was, I was, I was sicker this time with, um, the pregnancy. I, did not eat for three days because I could not keep anything down. I was thrown up. I lost five pounds like in three days. Like I don't think my body was right and couldn't handle the stress of the pregnancy. So I think that's why the miscarriage happened. And so miscarriage happened three weeks later out of nowhere. I started basically um, gushing blood. I know it's a lot of information like giant clots. Um, I was home alone with my kids. I had to get my daughter to get my phone so that I can call my husband. And basically it's like, I think we have to go to the ER. So um, they got me in the ER and continued to lose a lot of blood. I lost about, they were saying, predicting about like 800 milliliters. And it was like to the point, it was like they almost thought I needed a blood transfusion. Um, I had to do an emergency DNC in the hospital. And since I have no health insurance, I opted out not going in the OR. So I did that with no pain medicine or drugs or anything, which is awful. Um, so after the procedure, I, I coded from the, like the last lock of blood. I just, my blood pressure tanked. And then somehow, yeah, I was able to still leave the hospital. They were, if I wasn't able to pass a test, I had to stay overnight for observation. So I was able to go home. And my husband's a physical therapist, so I know he's not a doctor, but he could monitor vitals and all that stuff. So that was the end of February of 2019 when that happened. And then basically seven months later to Twin Cities, I hit the 240 qualifying and then qualify for the trials from there. I don't even this story. I don't even <laughs> I know. know what to say. I know. Um, I don't know how, like, yeah. I mean, my goodness. Um, I guess, I guess on some level, I'm just sitting here like, you're one tough cookie, man. Like, I can't even imagine, I can't even get like a cavity done without some sort of anesthetic. So I can't even imagine what, what this whole experience was like, what must have been like for you. Yeah, I had that. And then my son was 100% natural too. I had nothing with him. Once again, tried to save money that way. Which are still expensive, but yeah. So I was like, no, I guess no pain is worse than between those two things when it comes to running. <laughs> that's that's definitely one way of looking at it. That's for sure. Um, so so, so th this obviously was a huge, you know, this is a huge procedure. Your your health was very much compromised. Obviously, if you're in that situation, so when you're coming back from that, just from a general health perspective, not even running, you know, what, what got you to the point where you felt like you were healthy enough to even start having that activity level again, um, to start ramping up to, to training because shoot, like seven months, isn't that long. 
of a time to go from that experience to to running at an extremely high level. Yeah. Um. So basically, I was I was trying. Like I don't know. I was like too. I thought I could race. I was already signed up for a race two weeks after all that. So I was like, we'll just see how it goes. It was this 15K in Phoenix, um, the Mountain of the Fountain 15K. I was like, I'm already signed up. Let's just see how it goes. Within the first 400 meters, it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> I can just tell. And Lindsay, was, Lindsay, I got to be honest with you. This, this, that's not that's not that surprising. Yeah, no. I was, <laughs> I was like, like, really like there's no way. There's no way it's going to work. <laughs> No, I was like, I was like, maybe we'll see. Uh, yeah, within the first 400 meters, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so I basically suffered through the 50. I because it's point to point. So I was like, well, I have oh to get to the God. finish you, line. You kept running. <laughs> well, like it was like 7:30. It was like normal run pace, but even that was hard. So after that, I just took like two weeks off again, and then basically I just started like well, just run. I started at 50 miles, and then 55, and 65. Like 60, 65. Basically, I just kept going up every five miles. So I got to 100 miles. I was like at the um, end of May, beginning of June. At that time, I was like, okay, I have a good base now. So maybe I can try to shoot for, you know, a fall marathon. Get the standard because I'm like, I, I'm running out of time here. So I was had a good summer, trained up here, somehow like managed and yeah, worked my butt off basically and got to Twin Cities and I was nervous because I'm like I haven't ran the marathon in three years I hope it goes well and I was so obsessing like trying to hit the 245 standard I had no clue I was like close to breaking 240 because I was 240 13 there I'm like I probably could have broke 240 there so now you're an experience now where you have so you run the trials which is marathon three and then now you've had this you know a full year to now prepare for the marathon project, considering just the the wild circumstances surrounding your first two marathons and how well you seemingly ran them, despite all of those factors, where do you see yourself now in terms of fitness level and potential race potential race time? Um, I think the goal is to go sub two thirty five at the marathon project. And I think James, long term, he's like, you can break 230 in the marathon, which is I've never thought was even possible. But it's like I'm faster. Just like the few months I've been with James, I'm faster than I have ever been already. Like, And I've only been with James for like seven months or so. And I'm already like having massive PRs and like virtual online solo effort races or like they're even just workouts. So, and it'll be exciting to see what I do in the 10K because with like, you know, you get the altitude conversion. I'm like, it's, that's a huge PR right there. So I think being on a team with a coach, because I've been coaching myself through all that stuff. And so I have a coach, team, people pushing me. So I think right that alone is going to make you better. And you're in Flagstaff. So in addition to what you're seeing with your workouts and, and being able to really kind of compare and contrast where you've been in the past and look at the runners that you you know, are potentially training with. You're also basically in one of the running one or two Mecca spots, you know, in terms of the United States. So are you able to make comparisons to other 
runners in the Flagstaff area. Lord knows there's, you know, so many high level men and women in that area. Are you able to just, you know, compare yourself in real time to some of those runners or is it that kind of harder to do? I think that's harder to do because like, like, obviously the ultimate goal is like, you know, like, you know, you got Steph and Kellen who are just like incredible. And like, it's funny because Stephanie Bruce, her son, Riley Bruce is in my daughter's first grade class. So they're doing online together. They were in kindergarten together. So I saw them a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to compare. And like a lot of people, like I don't hang out with a ton of runners. Like I hang out with like, you know, my kids, their friends, parents who think I'm just like insane trying to run. And they think that's all I do. <laughs> it's like, I also parent, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like, I think it's hard to compare to other people. I try not to. <laughs> obsess over that well best of luck to you i'm excited to see what you can do a month and a half from now or so uh lindsey thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thank you for having me i appreciate it lindsey thank you so much for coming on the show i really and truly appreciate it best of luck to her in the marathon project coming up middle of december if you haven't checked that out you really should i know we touched on it in this episode we didn't really completely dive in the marathon project is as you heard uh basically going to be consisting of some of the best runners in america on a closed loop in december and it will surely be an extremely entertaining event go check it out today also big shout outs to our sponsors we got Gooder, we got Prevenex, and we got the Richmond Marathon. Thank you so much for being part of the Rambling Runner podcast. It means so much to me. Go check all of them out today. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.